Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast where we review films. Kaboom. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I am a critic of absolutely no renown, uh, and with me, as always, is my scintillating co-host, William. Introduce yourself. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs, and if it takes me till the day I die, I will get Whitney to start appreciating his own self-worth oh, at the top goodness. of these podcasts. <laughs> He's a wonderful critic, and I'm honored to review movies with him. And this week, we're reviewing a bunch of new movies. Uh, we're reviewing the new releases, Black Widow, Fear Street, 1978... Sun, S-O-N, Summertime, S-U-M, <laughs> and Genus, comma, Pan. That's not two titles with an Oxford comma. That's one title genus, with a comma in it. Genus Pan. It's the latest film from Lav Diaz. Oh, so it must be like eight hours long. Uh, it is a, uh, a jaunty two hours and 40 minutes. Whoa! Yeah, I know. It's practically a short by Lav Diaz standards. Holy snap. Well, wow, yeah, that's exciting. Talking about a brand new Lav Diaz. Well, not brand new, but re- re- recently re- made available in the United States. Yeah, no, he's reinvented himself as someone who makes shorts. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of new films, and uh, we're starting to see summer start kind of to feel like summer again. We're getting big blockbusters every single week, at least big, expensive, giant movies that are getting released uh, in every in every uh, format. And here, here in LA, well, it used to be just here in LA, but now worldwide, uh, people are getting all the box office reports and and uh, looking at them very carefully in this age of uh, as theaters sort of reopen post pandemic and trying to figure out. What, when it's safe to say that things are back to normal. Well, I think we're at a point, and, and this brings us to our first mm. title, um, where things might never be 100% back to normal, at least yeah. that, the way they were. And this is an interesting case where uh, Disney has decided to release uh, many of their new films. Some of them are being released directly just to Disney+, uh, Plus, including films that you would think would do well in theaters, like Pixar's Luca. Uh, but for a film like Black Widow, which is this you know giant installment of the Marvel Cinematic Universe... The, I think it's the most financially successful film franchise of all time at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know certainly incredibly popular. It's this one and Francis the Talking Mule. That's kind of those, those are those the are two the, right at the top. The pinnacles. Uh, those mule pictures were very popular. They were the they they weren't this popular. <laughs> That's not, 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 not as not, there was a popular film franchise of the 1950s called Francis the Talking Mule. But it was popular. It was, was popular. No, that did not. N- Nearly approach anything we, like like Marvel superheroes. We, we bring it up to remind people that just because something's popular, like really popular now, doesn't mean that in fifty years anyone's going to care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if yeah, nobody yeah, talks it, about it, Francis it, anymore. <laughs> it's dead. Uh, but I digress. My point is this: uh, Black Widow was released this last weekend, and it was released in theaters, but it was also released on Disney Plus at a premium. I think it was like thirty dollars. Yeah, which the, the first time they did this was last year with Mulan. Uh, yeah, uh, but it didn't release in theaters. They decided let's see, let's test it out. Let's see if we can put like a really mm. high price point on it and sell it to streaming. And they didn't release any numbers because they don't have to. No, <laughs> the, they don't. There's, there's no obligation to release these. numbers. They kind of have to release numbers in theaters because they're working with theaters. They can't hide them. Mm-hmm. But when it's all just Disney selling movies from Disney, there's no middleman. They don't have to tell you if it's not if it's not good or if it's like they're not necessarily sure if they want to share, but. What happened with Black Widow was they decided to share the numbers. Now, theatrically, it did okay. It's still it's still post pandemic or, or about, I, well mid pandemic. A, a little, uh, yeah, we're not out of the woods yet, but uh, yeah. but it did pretty good it for did a about, pandemic a, era movie. About as good, a little bit better than F nine. Yeah, 
which is in, to say in, in theaters, which is to say like under a hundred million, but did rather well. Yeah, and uh, but low for an MCU movie traditionally. However, apparently Disney said you can add another sixty million on top of that just from Disney Plus, which sets the opening weekend comfortably in the like mid hundreds of millions range, like yeah. 140, 150. So uh, this is either a way for just sort of them to improve their optics. Mm-hmm. This one also made a hundred million dollars. Yeah. The MCU uh, has not taken a drop. I'm sure that's important to them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also uh, this kind of reveals, and this is, uh, this is all significant to business. Usually mm-hmm. we don't talk about this side of things too much, but, uh, Disney is actually making a lot of money through this home streaming service. Yeah. Uh, and this is sort of proof positive that this hybrid model is the future. I think so. Uh, they're going to release in theaters and on streaming because mm-hmm. guess what? They're probably making a lot more money. They're not taking as big a cut yeah. the- from streaming as they are from releasing something in theaters, especially worldwide. And you got to remember that uh, there, it is kind of weird because if you think about it, that streaming option for $30 that's a lot of money. That's more money than one movie theater ticket in almost all markets. You know, yeah. there might be a few like D box or whatever giant IMAX screenings. You know, prime time might end up costing that much. But generally speaking, that's more than one ticket. So it might not be the best deal for people who don't have a lot of stray cash just floating around. Hmm. Uh, however, for families, that's a great bargain. If you're if you normally would take like four people, yeah. you, your spouse, your two kids, hmm. your dog dressed up as a child. Just wheel it in, have to buy a ticket for it. I don't know how it works. <laughs> wheel it? Why is it on a cart? I don't know. It's in a, it's in a, it's in a carriage. It's a little, you know, perambulator. Okay. I don't know. I'm thinking it out. My point is this. I don't have kids. My point is this. Uh, you know, you, you put four or five people buying tickets, you're you're already at, like, looking at close to, like, around 75 bucks a lot of the time. And then you buy snacks and parking. And it just ends up the Disney Plus model can save a lot of money. So some people might say to themselves, well, that's money they might have lost because they're not buying that many tickets. But again, Disney doesn't see 100% of every ticket sold. Mm. That $30, they get to keep that. Yeah. That, yeah. that doesn't so go anywhere else. So, if so it's, it probably it's a, works out better it's for a, them. You know, and if it's just two people, a lot of people could justify that cost. Oh, I'll pay yeah. 15 to see something premium if we yeah. watch it together. Yeah. Uh, and they're not, you know, Disney Plus is not cracking down on like shared passwords or anything. So not I'm right sure now, there's no. people proliferating their passwords yeah. about and, you know, sharing the, the profits that way. Uh, so it seems like a good deal for audiences at the end of the day. Yeah. It might seem high for a single ticket price, but that's not how people are consuming I guess, I guess, and I, and I don't want to get too hung mm. up on box office because I don't think it's important, but I do think it's interesting right now. And it's, so this, this, is, yeah. this is why it's fun to conversation have right now. Well, because things is, are changing, yeah. and I think what's going to need to change is because we're so used to the business model for films being exclusively theatrical. And then, the, you know, there's... Uh, international markets and home mm. video, but an, our initial concern is just theatrical. The opening um, weekend has become a especially a, opening a, weekend. a big focus of our attention. Uh, the opening weekend, you know, what is successful for an opening weekend changes dramatically when you change the medium in which it is distributed. Mm. So this might be as profitable or close to as profitable for Disney as a normal theatrical release yeah, might be because they get to keep so much of that percentage all to themselves. And as a result, while this might not seem like, Oh, they made $200 million opening weekend. Uh, they did great. They're, they're doing, they're, they're doing, doing just, just fine. fine. Yeah. The, yeah. This idea of, uh, having these gigantic opening weekends is 
kind of a thing of the past now. Yeah, it's and, unlikely uh, a movie's gonna any movie is gonna get two hundred million dollars a weekend. Yeah, I, I think anytime it, in the future. It's it's been said that Avengers Endgame was like the last one. Yeah, like ever in history, and yeah. they, um, they might re-release yeah. Avatar. They might re-release Titanic, and those three might jockey for number one position once in a while because it's all very very close. Mm. But seriously, yeah, that kind of wide release model probably no, going the, the way of the dodo a lot of a lot of theaters closed down uh hbo announced their whole slate was going straight to streaming mm-hmm. and disney uh, announced all of these like star wars things that were all straight to streaming yeah uh, a bunch of like long form tv shows like th- this this model of the film blockbuster yeah. is is essentially on the wane uh I, I it could hope, change. I hope to be proven wrong someday. Yeah, it could uh, change. My, it could change my, prediction, my predictions always, well, they don't always suck, but yeah. they usually suck. And uh, so it's this is curious to uh, review this brand new giganto blockbuster uh, in this hybrid model because yeah. uh, depending on what medium in which you saw it might affect how you view the film. Yeah, this is often the case uh, for, for big spectacle mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. Where uh, in theaters, they're often treated as something of an amusement park ride. You know, yeah, oh, like, did I... I want to get a big screen and I want my yeah. field of vision to be full with all of this visual information mm-hmm. flying off. But the irony, of course, is that after you see it once or twice in theaters, I guess more if you're a super fan, but usually people only see a movie once or twice. Just once for me, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying, some people, whatever. My point is this. Um, when I was a kid, in the summer, I would see movies multiple times. But, Same, yeah. So, um, summer 96, I saw all of those. Yeah. Like, Mission Possible and Independence Day, I saw multiple times. Exactly. Uh, but my point is this. After that, you're going to see it on home video. Mm. That's it. That's going to be 99.9% of the times that movie is available to you is on home video. And whether that means streaming, Blu-ray, doesn't matter. That's just where the movie's going to live for the majority of history. So it's got to work in that way. Mm. It's got to work... On that level. Uh, so let's get into it. Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Uh, newest MCU movie. Stars Scarlett Johansson. She's uh, the uh, Russian super spy who defected and joined the Avengers. Uh, through a series of kind of shitty machinations. She's never had her own feature film before in the MCU. Like all dedicated to herself. And now she finally yeah. does. After she already died. Yeah. she she uh, This character, the Black Widow, died. Uh, or just Black Widow. Yeah. Died in during Avengers Endgame. I was in the yeah. bathroom for that scene. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! I, I was able to put it together. It's a and, it's uh, a it's a long movie. I guess you, it's hard yeah. to pick a good moment. Uh, and, uh, It'd be great if they gave you like a little warning, like if you had to go to the bathroom, the next sixty seconds are mostly filler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the character died. Uh, the character has always had a, a, a frustratingly off to the side role. In the, yeah. I think this is her ninth feature film. Like her eighth or ninth, but uh, lot, yeah, this yeah. is the first time she's had anything significant to display. Uh, Winter Soldier, a little bit, I'd say. Uh, maybe a little. I yeah. feel like uh, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for this one. I think Scarlett Johansson has been miscast in this role. Mm. I feel like the, they've tried to write the character as being a little bit more like flip and, and energetic, and Scarlett Johansson has played her as very sort of like steely. And yeah. uh, and it just ha- she hasn't really emerged as a very charismatic figure. She's yeah. just sort of like a support. I wonder how. I wonder if part of that's because uh, originally it was supposed to be Emily Blunt, mm. and then oh, that would have been great. Yeah, Emily Blunt was originally cast, and then <laughs> this is one of those like ah bad like uh, like when um, Dugray Scott was supposed to be Wolverine, but oh, then yeah, Mission Impossible like, Two ran over, yeah, and so he couldn't get out of that commitment, so they had to find Hugh Jackman really fast. And, and, and look at how that turned out. Hugh Jackman was like a nobody and yeah. that, like made him a superstar. Emily Blunt was working on Gulliver's Travels and that went over. Oh, and so she didn't get to be no. Black Widow. Okay. And you're just sort of like, oh, wow. Of all the movies to like get in your way, Gulliver's Travels, which is not a good film. 
It's not a good Gulliver's Travels. <laughs> I know that's a hot take, but it's true. So, but in any case, she, she, she. You're right. I think it's a role that initially, I think it took them a while to figure out who the Black Widow was because initially she was like undercover as Tony Stark's new assistant, and then she and was the, revealed to be a super spy, and, and she the, didn't really get a lot of time in that first movie to like. Mm. I remember when they actually did the big reveal. I mean, I knew who she was because I read the comics, but when they did the big dramatic reveal that your new assistant is actually this Russian super spy. They did it at that fucking what's that donut shop over by LAX? Randy's. They did that Randy's Donuts. Yeah. We just just uh, she, she, go, she just drive up and she's in the no, outfit. No, or? she doesn't drive up. She walks in like Tony Stark is eating there with Samuel L. Jackson. They're talking about it. Tony Stark is you know he's dying and he's and he's you know drinking himself to death and he's having a rough time of it. And then Black and then Goldman's like, oh hey Steve, hey Nick, oh hey, uh, she was a spy. Okay, yes. bye. Okay, cool. Like, th- can we at least give it a little bit of weight? Yeah, Bla- Black Widow is uh, was, I guess, initially not meant to be a bigger part of this, or maybe she was. I think she was at the uh, time. She wasn't a huge member of the comics, but like, I think she was. They got Scarlett Johansson was not nobody. Scarlett Johansson no, she was, was a get. So like, she was a huge star. So she I think still is. I think uh, that first movie they didn't know what to do with her. I don't think they figured out what to do with her really until the one two punch. Of the first Avengers, which made her a bit more of a central focus, what with the yeah. whole Hawkeye angle and like her scenes with Loki, yeah, and then and like, then with Winter Soldier because there are that's a, six of them, and she's one of the six. And then Winter yeah. Soldier, that was a spy movie essentially. That was Marvel's take on the spy movie in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, at least the Tom Clancy well, one. That's, this one is the spy. Well, movie, also, yeah. but I think that I think Winter Soldier was Marvel's like sort of Tom Clancy spy movie, mm-hmm. and I think this is Marvel's kind of more of a Bond film. In terms of its more, like yeah. scope, so globe trotting, yeah. super tech. Kind of so, stuff. but I think that one they started to figure out like, okay, she's a spy. Who is she as a spy? Let's show her actually do spy stuff. And I think that one worked mm-hmm. really, really well. And I think we're back to that here. And this one takes place in that uh, sort of pocket between Captain America: Civil War, when Black Widow and a bunch of the other Avengers were basically outlaws mm-hmm. and running around the globe trying not to get captured. Some of them already had been. Uh, and then uh, the start of Infinity War when things started sort of coming together. Right. I, um, so at the beginning of the movie, she's on the run. I, I was a little lost because I had forgotten what happened at the end of Civil War. Oh. Um, I, I knew that there was a big fight between Captain America and Iron Man. Yeah. And I know that um, Sebastian Stan had been spirited off to like a, a safe house somewhere. And that's uh, Wakanda. All I, yeah. Waka- that's right. I was in Wakanda. And yeah. That's all I really remember. Yeah, I actually, uh, for a second, I had, had also forgotten that, like, Hawkeye and Ant-Man were in jail. And I realize that to some people who, like, really live and breathe these movies, that might sound like some kind of weird sacrilege. Like, how could you forget? But, like, there's a lot of these movies, and, like, it's easy to sort of get, let them congeal together if you're not constantly rewatching them. Yeah, and, like, getting the again, timeline a little off, it's, to, it's not that weird. To, to reiterate, I've, I've watched these films once. I don't go yeah. back and revisit them to memorize details, and I know that's... My own fault because well, it's not about it's, memories of details. People like them enough that they want to. Revisit it's to them, my detriment, know? though, because a lot of these details uh, become very, very important as plot points later in the series, and mm. these are not details that were important to me because I haven't watched the movie a lot. Right. Um, I feel like this is a very. Um, it feels really dated. This movie yeah. uh, because because Black Widow is kind of a dated character. Yeah, she she's comes a product out of, of the Cold yeah, War. Yeah. A product of the Cold War. So they're. It's about uh, Russian spies, but it's not the Russian government. It's like this Russian super spy program, and she defects to not the American government, but this American superhero program. So it's like... Which at the time was part of the government. The S.H.I.E.L.D. was part of the American government. Okay. So initially it was part of that, and then they became a separate thing. So it it gets a little muddled. You see what I mean? But uh, this one uh, starts with an introduction where we get to see... uh, 
Black Widow as a young girl mm-hmm. uh, and her younger sister being raised as the sort of like fake family uh, in the ni- in the 90s. Yeah, it's kind of like that show The Americans. Uh, her, mm-hmm. Their parents are played by David Harbour, uh, who is great, and Rachel Weisz, who is also always great. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, they're they're a married couple, or so it seems, with two daughters. And then it turns out that they were in America to steal important intelligence secrets. And at the beginning of the film, what seems like an idyllic summer afternoon suddenly turns into we have to flee the country immediately. Yeah. And they're burning their house down and, and destroying all their valuable heirlooms. And uh, the younger sister has never known anything else, so she doesn't even know what's going on. And yeah, then there's this there's a kind of cool bit where like they have to like run away in a plane, and like David Harbor all of a sudden like lifts up a giant industrial strength crate. And you're like, oh, he's a superhero. I didn't know that. And then like. You know, he has to, like, jump on the wing of the plane and shoot people. And it's very James Bondy, and yeah. with a little bit of superhero element. And honestly, I thought that was a pretty good opening for this. I actually liked the opening of this because it's not exactly where you expect it's going to open. Mm. It's a couple, and not, like, the giant twists, but, you know, they're taking it in a slightly different yeah. direction. And I like that we are establishing that this is a movie that is not about the Black Widow doing stuff, but it is. this is about this character's past and relationships. And that's the sort of the core dynamic around which all of this other stuff, some of which is ridiculous, yeah. but because so much of the movie ends up being about her relationship with her sister, who isn't literally her sister, but they grew up kind of together, and her parents, who weren't really her parents, but were her only closest al- a- analog to parents, yeah, I, so because they had briefly had this kind of familial relationship, this is all they've got. They're actually very uh, hollow, empty people, and they're kind of struggling to maintain these connections, tenuous though they are, toxic though they may be because it's literally all they have in their past and that was enough for me to kind of go along on some of the weirder parts of the journey okay um uh, sure um i there was that sort of idyllic opening that showed that they did have relationships but i didn't sense any um because they revealed that they're not a real family, I didn't yeah. sense that they ever had any kind of real connection. So they reunited. They spent years pretending to be a real family. That's, yeah, but we didn't, whole... we didn't see it or feel it as well. Well, I get that, and, but uh, you can't spend three years in the theater. You got to truncate it with editing. <laughs> well, show more flashbacks, right. show more at the beginning, have a longer introduction. There are other fair ways enough. around this. All right, fair enough. And uh, so, yeah, when. when uh, a Black Widow, uh, her, her name is Natasha, because people don't go by their superhero names in these. Well, it's important uh, to remember that uh, also, like, and, and and Natasha was very much like the Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah, and, like, and in fact... Uh, they, stereotypical Russian name. The character was written like 50 years ago. So, uh, e- even yeah. though uh, Scarlett Johansson has abandoned trying to do any kind of Russian accent. A long uh, since. Uh, uh, all the other characters are, and they all sound like Moose and Squirrel accents. Yeah, they're yeah. not. They're, they're pretty broad. Uh, and yeah, because they have like the sort of Soviet era Moose and Squirrel, it's like, what year is this supposed to be? <laughs> Can you not set this in, like, that's, 1986? Because it's weird, it's, because yeah. Black Widow as a character was created during the Cold War, back when the, this whole America-Russian thing was very open and at mm. a peak, and it was just basically, there was a lot of caricature running around over, like, American heroes, or British heroes, or Russian anti-heroes, or villains, mm. and um, and Black Widow was very much a part of that. Yeah. And so trying to keep that alive Today, you end up with this Mission Impossible situation where it's like, technically, this would only make sense in the 1980s, but we have to pretend <laughs> like people are still acting like the exact same way sometimes. And and the actual plot is straight out of like a G.I. Joe cartoon. Yeah. Now, there's uh, uh, some some evil bastard played by Ray Winstone mm-hmm. playing a Russian. Not, not that his parentage factors into it. Pardon? Just, just because his parents weren't married doesn't oh, mean anything. In, in, in the, it's a term. In the, it's a term I'm trying to retire. I think, it's, okay. I think it's. I think it's. Okay, I'm sorry. Weird, weird thing to big on. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I apologize. I was yeah. using a, a modern colloquialism. Yeah. 
he's he's the bad guy, and uh, he has access to essentially mind control gas. He can yeah. shoot this red cloud of gas in your face and and wipe out your mind. In his employ, he has a killer robot. Uh, called the Taskmaster. It's a cyborg. It, 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 it's it's like a skull face robot monster, and yeah. uh, and it chases after. And it's his know. Winter Soldier, basically. And oh, the whole thing with the Taskmaster sure. is it's got uh, when in the comics they called photographic reflexes, which is if you see someone do something mm-hmm. like a cool acrobatic move or a martial arts style or something, it can do that. Yeah, just. Show, show that thing Bruce Lee movies. So I think they probably yeah. did, and that's why throughout the movie you'll see it doing like memorable fight stances and moves from like other Avengers movies because it's been watching like footage of Captain America and Hawkeye <laughs> doing stuff, which okay. is admittedly pretty cool. Okay, um, again, a detail I wouldn't have picked. No, up I appreciate on. that, but I know. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the through all of the machinations with the Mighty Race gas, uh, Natasha has to reunite with uh, her younger sister, who's now played by Florence Pugh. And her uh, father and mother, who you said, are played by David Harbour and Rachel Weisz. We learn that her her faux father uh, used to be essentially Captain Soviet. Red Guardian. The Red Guardian. The Soviet Captain America. The only Soviet attempt at a super soldier. Works pretty well. I wonder why they stopped, but okay. Yeah, but when we catch up with him, and I don't think I explain why, but he's in a prison. He's like in a gulag somewhere. Uh, He he talked back to, like, people. Mm. He, He... I think they said like he wanted to be like more like old fashioned Cold War, mm. you know, Soviet heroism, and they just sort of shoveled him under a rug. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, just got rid of him. Like, pretend he doesn't exist mm. anymore. And um, so, yeah. So, what happens at the beginning of the movie is um, uh, Florence Pugh, playing uh, Natasha's younger sister, now all grown up, uh, is uh, one of the lead assassins in this uh, all female Soviet spy enclave, uh, led by. Uh, or, or at least allegedly led by because he apparently died in the past. Ray Winstone, mm-hmm. the main bad guy. Uh, she's been brainwashed, and not in the usual way, but with that chemical you were talking about. And uh, one of her brethren has uh, managed to escape with a gas that can undo, like that. The, it was a cure for the toxic gas. And just as she kills this person for like trying to stop their evil mission, she's hit with the gas and all of a sudden she realizes what she did and has, you know, a conscience again and feels terrible and she goes on the lam and uh, Natasha ends up catching wind of this. They end up teaming up together. They have to reunite their family. They have to break their dad out of prison. It all ends up in a big giant action sequence in the sky. Um, And, uh, you know, the action's fine. Mm. Like, it's not like blow your mind action. I was engaged by it. Uh, it was just it's literally just... the only thing I really cared about was they got a good ensemble together. Mm-hmm. I like seeing Florence Pugh act. <laughs> and if you got her to act opposite Scarlett mm-hmm. Johansson, who at this point is very comfortable in this role, get her to act opposite David Harbour, who is always a good actor. Rachel David, Weiss, David who's Harbour, always a good actor. David Harbour and Florence Pugh are just excellent. Yeah. And even though this is... Um, to get into the criticism, I think kind of a nondescript movie. Mm. Uh, I feel like they're trying to bring a lot of personality. And I think they succeed. Uh, to their characters, perhaps, yeah. but the movie itself feels very gray. Uh, mm. in, in Not in terms of morals, just in terms right. of there's not a lot, there's no color to it. Mm. There's not a lot of uh, pizzazz. That yeah. This feels like a really disposable spy flick that you like caught on a whim in the 90s. It right. feels like, I said, it feels well, very dated in terms of not just its politics, mm-hmm. uh, but also its its tone. Yeah. Uh, and this is another frustrating example of uh, this series kind of being a little bit too beholden to the house style rather than letting the director take over. The yeah. director has previously made movies like Somersault and Laura, which are really highly um, 
highly acclaimed by critics and I haven't seen those movies, but I couldn't sense anything from like that has a voice or a point of view in this movie. It mm-hmm. feels like another churny action machine. And that was a little disappointing. Um, mm. you know, when well, the director's name is Kate Shortland, Kate Shortland, excuse me. Um, yeah. yeah. Kate Shortland, uh, an Australian director. Um, and I was kind of hoping uh, that maybe she could bring a little bit of pizzazz to this, something that has a little bit more excitement. Oh, she did that movie Lore. I remember that movie. Yeah, I, okay. I said. And, okay, um, sorry, it took me a second. And yeah, so so the action feels weirdly kind of flat. Not that it's big; it's just like shot in, a, in sort of a different sort of way mm-hmm. that makes it feel like less engaging than usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm spoiled by uh, the There's, Russos who have like such a, a wonderful second unit team that the action is like really well, I, I, impressively it's, choreographed. It's always hard to say who's who's responsible oh, yeah, for the action yeah. sequence because second unit is so in charge of of just getting that done and yeah. letting the the Marvel often seems to rely on their second unit team taking control of the action sequence so that the directors can focus on the narrative. Um, I think the action's hit or miss here. I I, don't, I think it's it's all fine. Like it's mm. all uh, perfectly good. Born identity action chases. I thought the uh, prison break scene uh, was well handled. I enjoyed the mm. um, whole bit with the helicopter and David Harbor constantly having to like readjust where he's supposed to go in order to mm. escape, and he's getting annoyed by it. All that shit's kind of fun. Uh, there's a car chase that pissed me off because um, it, it's fine at first. It's just Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson trying to get away from the Taskmaster, and then the Taskmaster like shoots like an explosive arrow under their car or jeep, oh, or whatever yeah. the hell they're driving. Uh, and it blows up and they get like knocked down staircases into a subway and then they just walk out of the car and I'm like, could you at least stagger? <laughs> like I mean, you were, just, you were just spun around in a car and that car was getting, this is not death proofed. Okay, you're not, you're not <laughs> fine. I was in a fender bender once and it fucked up my knee permanently. Can we at least allow that getting into a massive car accident will make anyone get a little stumbly for a second as they get their um, equilibrium? I will settle for that. Just pretend that's a thing, please. And, and I, I feel like they've... The, this is a frustrating thing about these movies as well, is they've never really... Uh, given us the actual rules of some of these heroes, yeah. like like Thor, I don't know what the limits of Thor's power are. Yeah. I don't even know what his, his superpowers are exactly. Uh, uh, strength, magic, hammer, and lightning. Yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah. and he, Oh, and he lives like a ridiculously long time. Okay, and he's very long lived. Yeah, he's like okay. a thousand years old already. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, a, a little bit more insight, like actual yeah. scenes of her these training. Are, these that, are supposed to be people. These yeah, are not supposed yeah. to be these, super these people. Don't have superpowers. But so like, like when you treat them like super people, of, it's a little yeah. weird. Yeah. What what they're capable of living through would have been yeah. nice. Like oh, I was trained to roll in this. Like establish that Something. whole sequence. There was a movie that came out a couple of years ago called Red Sparrow, um, mm. which is kind of like the more adult version of this story. Where it's also it's see, also it's also really shitty and misogynistic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. it's a bad it's, movie. It's, a, it's about a misogynist system uh, mm. I, I think but it, I think the movie doesn't do a very good job it, it, of not it's, being it's not expertly handled but I think it at least uh, covers a lot of what this is covering in a little bit more straightforward a fashion like mm-hmm. this this is the kind of things that these young women are subjected to um, Red Sparrow has a little bit too much of the like Elsa She-Wolf of the SS vibe about it it's mm-hmm. like an exploitation yes, movie so you, they wanted uh, to but, leer too much it's really gross uh, but um, but at least we get sort of a, a good snapshot as to the suffering. Mm-hmm. 
Black Widow alluded to what she went through in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. She had yeah. this speech about her origin story. Yeah, we saw a couple uh, of flashbacks. Which was like very, very like, brief. Julie Delpy yeah. was her trainer for a while. Yeah, which I always yeah. thought they were going to go back to that and make that important because mm-hmm. Julie Delpy is actually a good mm-hmm. get. Like, I want to see more of Julie Delpy in anything and... No, we're not going to. No, we're not no. going to do Julie oh, Delpy. Weird. Okay, uh, couldn't couldn't get her back. I guess. All and right. uh, and then they they talk about it again in this movie, which is essentially reiterating what uh, Scarlett Johansson said in mm. in the the last Avengers movie. Mm. And uh, I never got a sense of like what this experience was like for them. Was it something they were really excited about? I think was it something that they no, resented? No, they were not excited about it. Was they, it something that no, they, they were hated? Not exci- um, they talk about it. It was abuse. That's why they're trying to escape. That's the whole plot and of the movie. And they're, yeah, they're eventually trying to take it's, it down. It's, it's but, not exciting. <laughs> they hate this. They've, they've had their lives taken away from them. I, think I, I don't, I'm, I'm hearing it, but I'm not feeling it. I appreciate that yeah. you feel like the flip attitude and the sense of humor that permeates out the MCU undermines the level of tragedy and trauma that's supposed to be at the heart exactly, of this movie. Yeah, I appreciate go. that, and that's fair. Um, I think there are moments in this movie when that gets stripped away pretty well. There's a really great... The best scene in the movie is just when they're all, like, briefly... Like, they're reunited, and they start having dinner together, kind mm. of. But it's really perverse and wrong, and, like, yeah. Mom is ordering a pig to stop breathing, and, it's, and it just it's, does, it's just, and it's really yeah. horrifying. She doesn't even acknowledge how horrible that is. And, and for a moment, they fall into their old patterns, and Natasha's just disgusted by it. And for a moment, it feels like we're actually like, okay, we're actually, like, dealing with... A lot of like the legacy of your relationships together, and whenever that part gets to play out, whether it's just uh, Natasha and Yelena, Florence Pugh's character, or whether it's David Harbour and Rachel Weisz, you know, starting to rekindle old feelings, when all of that stuff's good, that's the best part of this movie. As I just again, I think the cast is really good. I think they give. It would have been nice if they had even more, but like what they have, they work with really beautifully, and I think that that elevates what is otherwise. I'll grant you. Like a three-star spy movie. Mm. Like, it's it, as just a spy movie, it's okay. Like, I, it, the action's fine. The plot's pretty good. Ray Winstone really is a piece of shit, and I kind of appreciate just how evil he is, because sometimes... He's good Mar- at playing those types Ma- of roles. Marvel yeah. sometimes likes to hedge their bets a bit on, like, how evil they'll let the characters oh, really feel, and like, sometimes oh, no, it's they're good... they're actually kind of sympathetic. No, just have so, them be evil about their supervillains. Sometimes it's okay to just have evil, and here they're extraordinarily evil. Mm. Good. And sometimes people just deserve what's, you know... Deserve to have a superhero after them, that kind of thing. Um, so all of that stuff is fine. Yeah, this feels like just a good. And this is just Marvel's answer to Bond. They tried to do some of their own stuff in it. Uh, the actual many elements of the movie are a mixed bag, but at this point, I was, I'm actually impressed because I feel like I I, I agree with you to an extent that I feel like Natasha Romanoff is had heretofore been somewhat underexplored in the MCU in general. Hmm. And I think in the course of one movie, they managed to tell a story that is very much about her experience, not just her doing stuff, not her going after some magical space rock, but Mm. just dealing with her own past and people in it and introducing a big ensemble Mm. and they all make the most of it. So ultimately I really like this. It's not, it's Mm. not like superlatively amazing, but I think it's an action movie that is elevated by its cast. 
Okay. I, like it. I, I, I agree with you on some of the cast members. They did hire some very talented people. Mm-hmm. I just wish they'd given them more interesting things to do I uh, and, and interesting things to, to say. And uh, yeah, to, to repeat, it's it's a kind of kind of a bland flick. I don't hate it. I don't think yeah. it's doing anything necessarily uh, wrong mm-hmm. or offensive. Um, but it's not connecting with you. Yeah, it, it just it, it has no no tone, no substance. Yeah. Nothing for me to sort of dig my fingernails into. Yeah, and uh, and. Given how how entertaining some of these things have been, we know this this series can be thoughtful. Yeah, Black Panther uh, was Black, excellent. Black Panther yeah. is excellent. I re- I'm very fond of Iron Man three because mm-hmm. that's sort of about actually like facing consequences mm-hmm. and, and, and actually and, facing and, grow- and growing and, yeah. and doing and you know kind of yeah. moving on with your life and changing as a character. Uh, I feel like there's nothing that like that here. And in fact, the fact that the character would have to go on to do other things. And then is already dead, mm-hmm. kind of paints them into a actually, corner a lot. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to agree with you a little mm-hmm. bit there because I feel like, um, again, we know that this is a movie about uh, a black widow who had been kind of like a bit of a loner and never really made like strong connections with other characters in the franchise, coming to terms with her own uh, very troubled uh, past and how her her failure, not her fault to develop meaningful connections over her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the movie, with, with that means obviously she's alive because she dies later. Uh, but like at the end of the movie, she comes to terms with a lot of that. She mm-hmm. comes to peace with a lot of that. And so the ending that we eventually see in Endgame, where it's her or Hawkeye, and it's like one of us has to sacrifice ourselves in order to get this mm-hmm. you know, magic stone. Um, uh, her ultimate justification is like, you have people you care about that are waiting for you. And I'm like, I saw Black Widow. So do you, Natasha. Like, it's a little bit of a dick move. I appreciate that he's a father and that matters, well, but a... like, it's still, <laughs> it's a little, it, you're, the implication in that movie, and I'm sure they just hadn't really like fully thought this one out yet, is that she never had a meaningful connection. But by the end of this movie, it feels like she yeah, does, and, it's, one, yeah. and so it kind of undercuts that a little bit and makes that a little less... I need to rewatch it. Maybe when I rewatch Endgame someday, I'll, maybe it'll work. But in mm. my head, it makes that scene yeah, a little they, less strong. She she went to her grave previously yeah. uh, without those meaningful connections. That was yeah. just a consequence of her being raised in the spy program. And now we found out that she had them and she had earned them between movies. Well, and here, here it's kind of... We're going to do Black Widow 2. Okay. Uh, it's going to take place immediately after this one. Fine. And it's going to be about her losing those connections again. You know so what? We can get back you to know what? I'm going to throw it out there. The Fast and the Furious movies. Fast and the Furious, like, three through, like, the first part of seven mm-hmm. all took place between other films. That's true. So yeah. fuck it. So there's why not? Plenty, yeah, there's why plenty, not of, stuff, in, there's plenty in, of stuff you could do. Um, I'd be fine with I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't actually complain about that. I actually wouldn't. And also, uh, clearly they're setting up... Florence Pugh for more things, and honestly, uh, Florence Pugh in all the things, please. Fl- Florence Pugh is wonderful. She's great. Um, she uh, really makes she really makes an impression here uh, as she has in every role I, she's ever done. Although I I do see this as yet another um, sort of corporate move to mm. recast all the original characters. Yeah, uh, they, they've they've introduced got to move the, on a little bit. They've introduced yeah. the multiverse, which means they can just keep recasting these characters ad infinitum, mm-hmm. which makes me want to care about them a little less. It's, yeah, it's we'll like see how they a, handle it because like, like Loki's in the middle of making that whole thing. Yeah, it's like the conversation reality. we had about when they uh, when they make a new sequel that asks you to uh, ignore other chapters that you had previously been involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like you you're toying like, with our emotions. Like, yeah, you feel like you've been, you've been cheated a little bit. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, and I, but here but I, don't think, I was I was connected to those others. I'm and not this one, I don't, to be and this one, I don't feel like it's cheating because it's basically just, um, 
hey, it's because that's the thing. Like DC Comics is always better about this than Marvel. Mm-hmm. The idea of legacy characters, where it's like this name has been passed down from generation oh, there, to generation. Yeah. In fact, uh, like Robin has been like there's been, there's been, been like eight Robins or something. I now. don't know what the actual number, but there's been several Robins. Mm-hmm. There's been several the Flashes. There's been several uh, mm-hmm. like Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Not so many of those, but. Uh, a lot of the other superheroes have had other versions of themselves and they've just passed the, the torch. Yeah. And it's considered fine, you know? And it's sort of like, yeah. it's a legacy that, that matters. It's like, why, just because we have all new members on our football team, we're we're still the Giants or whatever. I don't know. Like, it's, the, the name matters. And, like, the legacy of that name matters. Yeah. And so, I don't mind if after this, Florence Pugh is the new Black Widow. A, because Florence Pugh is awesome. Yeah. And B, it makes sense for a character. I buy it. Like fuck it, it works here. I I I am excited and, for that. And need, um, but it, and it, and it could work for other heroes too. Like there could be the, another uh, Iron Person out there. There have been in the comics actually. Yeah. In, in fact, there's a movie coming up. I don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. Isn't there there one called Iron Heart or is that a TV show? I don't know if that's going to be a TV show or a movie or if that's even official yet. But yeah, that's that's yeah. There's someone else was in the Iron Man suit exactly. Is that that's an Iron Man thing? Iron it's Heart? Iron Man. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I, it's from the comics after I stopped reading it regularly. Oh. But there's a woman who's like oh, became. It? Uh, is it uh, is it Gwyneth Paltrow? No. Do we get? Oh, I mean she might be in it, but I don't know. But it's not her. It, at least that's not the character. I, so, but again, it's I, after I, I stopped I really reading. Like that scene in, in Iron Man three where she puts on like just a single arm of like the Iron yeah. Man blaster, yeah. and she like murders the bad guy and just yeah. turns around and says, "That was really violent." <laughs> <laughs> She's really shaken by that. All right, we need to move on. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of movies, the people are in. Mm-hmm. Segway. <laughs> what? Uh, let's talk. Well, let's let's talk about uh, speaking of sequels. How's that? Part, okay. Movie third part of a franchise. Uh, let's talk about Fear Street, nineteen seventy eight. Last week we talked about Fear Street, nineteen ninety four. Uh, this is a trilogy of horror movies. Then uh, they're being released one a week. So next week we'll have mm-hmm. the final installment. They're all directed by Lee Janiak, who had previously directed the really excellent and somewhat underseen horror movie Honeymoon. And they're based off of the works of R.L. Stein, and what we are seeing is the history of a cursed town. A witch was killed in 1666. She cursed the town, and then throughout history, uh, every 10 years or so, at least once a generation, uh, someone just becomes possessed by the witch and turns into a homicidal maniac. And we a, saw a, a slasher, a slasher, a slasher villain, basically, uh, in 1994. We were introduced to uh, various characters who, through a series of imaginations, wound up being stalked by slashers from multiple generations of this curse. Like, they manifested, like, from throughout history, and they were stalking the the main characters at the same time. Very, very fun. Very, very fun. And at the end of it, one of them is still cursed by the witch, and they have to figure out how they're going to stop it. And the premise of uh, Fear Street 1978 is that they find a survivor from a previous slashing at a summer camp, Camp Nightwing, in 1978, and uh, she tells them what she went through in the hopes that maybe they'll figure out some sort of clue that will help them solve the problem once yeah. and for all. Uh, 1994 was a riff on... Um, it wasn't a riff on 90s slashers, because that's kind of when the genre was considered kind of dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, at least had, until Scream came yeah, along. Yeah, until Scream. But yeah, you had like Halloween 6 and mm-hmm. Hellraiser 4, and things were just sort of petering out at that point in terms of the, the genre. Um, yeah. But there was a bit of then, self-reflexivity, you know, sort of yeah. a meta-narrative. We're playing with the genre. It's yeah, a bit of a but, bit of a but, riff on Scream. But 94 was also the year of Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which was yeah. also a meta-narrative on the slasher genre yeah. uh, that Freddy Krueger was uh, a part of. Uh, kind of, arguably. Anyway, yeah, yeah, um, it's... Well, yeah. 
So that that one was a, a little bit of like a, a a little bit of a meta riff, I suppose. But, but it was than, it was loose and was able to be it its was own loose thing. Loose and, and it had a clever idea, and that we're gonna have a bunch of slashers from throughout history stalking our main characters. And that film was actually incredibly good about, I think, really establishing those characters. I loved those characters. Yeah. And there's some really wonderful bits of dialogue. I didn't say it last week, but there's a, a bit near the end where. Um, the main character is saying to her girlfriend, like, when we're done with all of this, we're going to take you on a date, we're going to get a burger, listen to the Pixies make out and have the best night of our lives. And it's like, that, that <laughs> line nearly made me cry. It's like, oh, that's like the sweetest thing. And, uh, and uh, 1978 is uh, a lot more of a riff on uh, slashers of the past. That is mm. uh, specifically uh, Sleepaway Camp and Friday the 13th. And, and The Burning. And the burning, uh, yeah, but which, but all of which were set at various summer camps. Yeah. Uh, they're basically campfire stories uh, brought to life in which a bunch of uh, kids and counselors at various summer camps are stalked by some maniac in the woods. Yeah, uh, the last one, uh, the characters were actually like uh, intelligent and actually kind of affable. They were uh, mm. really upbeat a lot of the time. They had a good sense of humor. In 1978, the characters are all horrible. Mostly uh, assholes. They're all yeah. assholes. Even the main characters at the start of the film are like just horrible to each other. Um, the main characters are a pair of sisters, mm-hmm. uh, one of whom is uh, a camp counselor, and she's really hoping to essentially beef up her resume so she can mm. get out of town and go out yeah. of state to college. Yeah, she's trying to get um, out of... Because yeah. as we've established this town, again, it's cursed, it's yeah. terrible, people don't leave very often, and she's doing everything she can to just play her cards right, get good grades, get all the extracurriculars, get letters of recommendation, and get the fuck out. And uh, her sister, who is a little younger, uh, the the elder sister's name is Cindy, the younger sister's name is Ziggy, Um, her sister is a little younger, and she's mad that her sister has started to pull away from her and started like sort of eschewing their life together in order to move on with the next phase, because she's, she's alone and picked on, and it sucks. Uh, yeah, and and she has resigned herself to a life of misery. She says, "We never move out. There's no point in doing anything." She's become very yeah. nihilistic, uh, and evidently, they also used to be incredibly naughty together. They talk about like all of the pranks they used to pull and damage yeah. they used to do. Yeah, and she kind of resents that. And in fact, she has other friends throughout the movie who kind of resent that she's pretending to be kind of a goody goody. Uh, you complained last week that 1994 takes a while to get going. This one takes a long time to get going uh, because they have to show the flashback in 94 to establish all of this. Mm-hmm. Which I think they and do pretty efficiently. Pretty efficiently, but then we get to the camp and they spend a long time setting up a new whole cast of characters. So th- when the actual premise of like the slasher comes along, that is one of the camp members becomes mm-hmm. possessed and he takes up an axe and starts murdering people. And... Uh, how what's going on and how they can fi- uh, how they can actually figure out what the curse is has to do with you know they figured out that it has to do with Sarah Fear that's the name of the witch mm-hmm. where she might be buried she might be buried at the camp and mm-hmm. how to break the curse and stop all of the killing yeah meanwhile the killings just continue and this is I will say this the body count of this movie is huge oh it's gigantic and it's yeah. sometimes you'll watch some of those summer camp movies and they're being very very careful like listen we're only gonna kill the, the asshole counselors we're not gonna kill any nice people we're not gonna kill like the kids at the camp this is not one of those everyone is on the chopping block it's pretty brutal and that's why even though i think i, I mean I, I my issue with 1994 wasn't that it took a while to get going mm-hmm. my issue was that the pacing just felt kind of choppy beforehand okay and it didn't really feel like i'm being f- guided along in the story it feels like we actually almost have too much story and we're it, it honestly probably wouldn't be better if it was longer 
than if it was shorter because it just yeah. it just felt like we were racing from thing to thing and I couldn't get my bearings and it wasn't until the action finally kicked in that I could and things settled down and it was clear who the protagonists are because it actually even wasn't for a while and then by that point I fell in love with it. Here, I don't mind so much hmm. because I think this film actually very tidily sets up all of the characters of the summer camp, all of the goings-on, all of the parallel narratives, who's mad at who, who's picking on who, what's going on with this big camp like competition happening at mm-hmm. night, which basically capture the flag thing. Um, it, it's establishing the relationships much more cleanly, mm-hmm. and as a result, I wasn't bored by it. I wasn't, mm-hmm. actually didn't feel like it was, and especially helped that once the, the horror really kicks in and the person actually does get officially possessed and start killing people, it it goes from zero to 60 like in like five uh, yeah, seconds. Like sure. the, the second half is brutality. <laughs> it's just and a, it's, a bloodbath. People are yeah. crawling through catacombs. So I feel like the yeah. wait was worth it. And I feel like a lot of the old slasher movies that this is based on, films like The Burning or even Sleepaway Camp, they're slow to get started too. There's like a couple of murders at the mm-hmm. beginning, but it does feel like we're kind of waiting for that one spree killing that's going to yeah. take well, up the last act. And here I, the last yeah. act is the second half of the film. So it kind of works. I, I feel like uh, a film like Sleepaway Camp was a lot better about sort of establishing the place and the characters during mm. that time. Yeah, well, that whereas one has this, a very specific tone and yeah, point. Whereas I think yeah. th- this one has such a large ensemble of characters and so much to talk about in the past that during these slower moments where we should have been establishing character, we're ex- expositing a little too much. Mm. Uh, j- just a, a little yeah, bit of a taste. I, I, I actually, see, it didn't bug me, but yeah. I, however, I do really like this movie yeah. um, because it does what uh, 1994 did, and that is establish a lot of really good characters and relationships. Yeah. And by the end, when the two sisters and a mutual friend of theirs are kind of... Yeah. Alice, played by Ryan Simpkins, and they are great. Yeah, all, all, That's a breakout role three, for Ryan Simpkins. Yeah. Ryan Simpkins is really, really wonderful, uh, and the, the two uh, leads are very, very wonderful, and all three of them together... Uh, when they finally do have scenes together, you get that wonderful sense that they actually had a relationship before. Yeah, their actual uh, connections yeah. being... So, yeah, um, yeah. so once we get to those scenes near the end where the characters are actually connecting and relating, it becomes really, really good. Yeah, I really, and, really care And there's a lot. actually stuff at stake at that point when, when you care there, about the characters. That, and I think that's the ki- the trick for like what makes... like There's a lot of very watchable slasher movies in which like you know it's the characters are broadly drawn and... It's mostly about like a kill count and clever deaths, and those can be very entertaining in their own right. But for me, what makes a great slasher mm. is when a character dies and you're going, "No, yeah, I yeah. liked them." And there's <laughs> actually not all that many slashers that I feel I can say that about. It's one of the reasons why I think Friday Thirteenth Part Two mm. is arguably the best in that franchise oh, because definitely. there's a couple people who die in that movie. I'm like, "No, I really oh, yeah, like yeah, them." Yeah, or like the, Harper's the Island, that great slasher series we watched. There's a couple of deaths towards the end where like on a bridge where I'm like every time I watch it I'm like, oh, the, yeah, those, those are that, the best characters why are you doing this to me Harper's on the bridge. Yeah, and, oh and my god I, I understand they try to kill people off in great numbers to show raising stakes but it, it's really rare especially in a slasher to care about the, vi- the victims in yeah. fact um, one of the uh, I think one of the big appeal of slasher the slasher genre in general is it's it's abiding nihilism yeah where you're, you're going in there because you don't care about humanity. There's a you just lot of efficiency. See, yeah, people yeah. reduced to meats. Like, uh, watching people getting killed is a party now. And um, yeah. I, I think uh, ni- 1978 is a little bit more sensitive about that. It's yeah. trying to establish these actual characters and set up stakes so the deaths actually mean something. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there's something actually at stake in mm. all of this that is, A, breaking the curse, and B 
mending a teenage lesbian relationship in the 90s. Yeah, all of this. We're watching this entire horrible summer camp slang in 1978. And the reason why is so that two girls can get back together in the 90s. And I love that that's what's really that, at, stake at stake here. Because this has yeah. all happened in the past. So this is all done. And they're not going to, we're not, although the tease for the next film, Fear Street uh, 1666, it feels like all bets are off on that one. I don't know what the hell that movie's going to yeah, be at there's all. There's going to be like psychic projecting into the past. Yeah, so is exactly it going to be the Crucible or the Witch or some other fucking thing? I have no idea. And honestly, after these two movies, mm-hmm. do what thou wilt. <laughs> I love these two. Uh, I really do. If, if they stick the landing here, yeah, if they this, we're if looking they at a horror do, classic, yeah, I think. If they if don't do anything to betray this, but these first yeah. two have been really quite good. Uh, this is um, just an, an exciting slumber party movie for yeah, teenagers. Yeah. They're really good, uh, just hard. I, I want to say they're they're kind of light horror movies. They're not. No, they're R rated, but they're not gonna yeah. they're not gonna like break your brain or no, make you like no, no, question if there's any good left in the universe. Yeah, they're, it's, just, it's, they're violent. There's some sex in them, but it's, like it's, it's not mostly one of, the, uh, one of one of my favorites. Like somebody getting coated with mud and going mad in the woods. It's <laughs> the, 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 the story and characters. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. And, uh, and as as that, uh, they're just really good horror entertainments, and I'm really looking forward to 1666. And I really hope they don't whiff it because there's 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 ways to blow this. There's that totally I'm, ways I'm to blow this. Already and, picturing and based on the whole like <clears throat> next time on 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 Fear Street because they give you, they went like last time yeah, they added on a little a trailer at the end. Yeah. And like and, and seriously, I'm looking at this and I'm like, I don't know what movie you're making right now. Like <laughs> I really don't. This could be like this amazing clever rule-breaking finale or you could be totally whiffing this and i don't know yet however i will say this after two great fear street movies and again i think honeymoon is great lee janiacs bought like a lot of goodwill from me yeah so i'm willing i'm obviously i'm on board i'm excited and i'll judge it based on whatever it is Mm. but it could do it Mm. and i'm like what what if they do it? <laughs> what if they do it? What if they? What if they actually? I felt, what if, I felt this like, way when I, when I was what if Rocky goes through. the distance? Like, what if he really does? It's it's, it's the teen slasher version of of Small Axe. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, a little bit. I, I felt that way for like Small Axe. Yeah. Like, this is a really exhilarating yeah. project. I hope there's not like a yeah. bad one. And Small Axe is more ambitious in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I'm sure more meaningful in a lot of ways. But again, it's just sort of like, how are they keeping up this level of quality this mm-hmm. long? Yeah, it is like that. Oh, so um, anyway, please don't miss the Fear Street movies if you haven't seen them yet. They're really excellent, and there's another one coming this week. Uh, uh, big, obvious soundtracks. Uh, the, yeah, this one, this one's a little less in your face and obvious. Like, there's, it's not like a new track every five seconds this time. That's true. And I'm actually true. curious, were, there, were any of them anachronistic? I didn't, I didn't notice. Uh, a couple, but I'm not gonna. No, no, I'm, not, I'm gonna stop nitpicking it's, now. If that's the problem, that's not a problem. Yeah. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, there's a horror movie I saw and you didn't, and I want to talk right. about it because I'm actually very impressed by it. Because uh, it, it came and went, I think it had a very, very small theatrical release uh, earlier this year, but now it's a Shutter exclusive, so a lot more eyes are going to see it. Uh, it's a film called Sun, S O N. It stars Andy Matichak, who played uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter in Halloween, the new one. Okay. Uh, and uh, Emil Hirsch. Uh, is in it as well. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, Andy Matichak is pregnant and on the run in the middle of the night, and we don't know from whom. The implication is that she was kidnapped, and or and uh, specifically, as we eventually learn, uh, she was on the run from possibly a cult. Hmm. We cut to a couple of years later. 
She is a single mother. She's a teacher. And her son, uh, played by Luke David Blum, no relation to David, uh, no relation to the Blumhouse guy. Uh, different spell differently. Jason Blum, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Uh, she's a single mom. She's got a son. They have a good relationship. Things are going well. And then one day, and this shot scared the shit out of me. Like, and I'm not an easy scare, like, just like a jump scare. Like, I was totally just lulled into their day-to-day routine. Just one day, she, like, walks into his room, and there's a whole bunch of people there. And it's just, like, <laughs> just, it's it's not, well, like... not disturbing it, at yeah, all. Yeah, and it's not, like, you know, all of a sudden it's there's like, a monster. It's just, like, they shouldn't be there. What the fuck is going on? It's, like, and ni- then the doors, nightmare material. And then the door slams, and she can't get back in, and she has to run across the street and ask for help. And by the time she gets back, they're gone, but now, like... Her son is like, he's clearly something's happened and he's really, really weird. And she calls the cops and she tries to explain and they believe her to an extent, but there's no evidence. So it's not like they're saying you're just, you all made it up, but they're saying it's like, we, we will look into it, but we find no evidence. Emile Hirsch plays the cop who wants to believe her. And then her son starts having weird medical issues that they can't explain he starts having seizures he won't eat he's covered in blood and no no one can explain it uh eventually she she tells emile hers that she was uh part she was uh uh, indoctrinated into a cult or she was when she was a little girl she had no Mm. control over it um and she was horrifically mistreated and she believes that the cult is back to claim the child and the doctors don't believe her uh, and I, I don't want to ruin where it goes from here. It, it's frustrating because I feel like if I told you a little bit more, you people might be more excited to see it. Mm. But just seeing the way it unfolded and how naturally it unfolded and how it became kind of different movies a couple of times. Not not none of this wild, fun, wacky, the guest kind of way. Just in terms of like the way the horror evolves from something um, very grounded, very Sundance, you know, Martha Marcy May Marlene mm. to something with more frightening like horror, uh, horror more, more horror yeah. overtones but even that might be completely subjective um it's all granted by andy matichek who is a, a young actor i'm not super familiar with her outside of halloween i really liked her in halloween hmm. and here she carries this whole movie really beautifully i buy every single moment with her um you know she's a young actor but you really buy that she has this maternal bond and she really does read as though she's been raising this kid mm. for like 10 years. And she's just nails every single part of this absolutely traumatic experience. And what she will do to protect her son mm. is increasingly horrifying. Uh, the situations that she's put in and the way she has to navigate out of them. Uh, the kid is uh, simultaneously a victim and a nightmare. Uh, and uh, the story is... Simple yet elegant, I think, in its, in its execution. I really, 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 really recommend this one. Okay. Like, it's not instant classic material, but it got under my skin in a way that not a lot of horror movies have lately, just in terms of, like, and I love, you know me, I love horror, but, like, just in terms of, like, oh, God, what's going to happen next? <laughs> like, it, that's not easy to do as, as efficiently as this movie does. Mm. And... Yeah, I really do think this one got a little underserved. I think people didn't really give it uh, uh, enough of an eye, and I hope people well, do, because it's really good. I've, I've been really impressed. I didn't see this one, but yeah. I've been really impressed with a lot of the films that Shudder has distributed. Yeah, they've got good taste uh, they, for the most they're, part. Yeah, they're, actually, they're, they're not just sort of like scooping up whatever horror they can. They're yeah. actually really carefully curating their channel. 
And uh, as such, when you see an original on Shudder, you're probably going to be in for something kind of interesting. Yeah. I've seen a lot of really good uh, original horror films through Shudder yeah. and uh, even this the, year. And even the ones I don't like, they've got ambition mm. or they're like trying I, something I know, interesting. I know you weren't a big fan of Caveat, but I liked Caveat a yeah, lot. Uh, I, uh, there's The Queen yeah. of Black Magic earlier this year. There, of mm. course, was Psycho Gorman, which is a wonderful yeah. film. Uh, uh, I, I liked uh, Skull the Mask, which was a little <laughs> sort of unambitious. The ma- like, well, actually, that's not true. It's sort of, it's just kind of sloppy, but it was mm. so gorgeous gory and weird you just yeah. had to love it uh, yeah i got you know? to see uh speaking of sloppy and gory i got to see fried berry this year yeah. uh was that, movie, uh was that movie porno that they did or yeah, that porno, they released porno is it's it's, it's that's one that i didn't care for but it's i really appreciate sl- the appeal it's sleazy uh it was set in uh, in a movie theater and i worked my whole life in movie theaters so yeah. it got a lot of those like little details so i i like those parts of it yeah and um and of course, they did Lucky, which is one of my favorite films of this year. Okay, uh, which is about a, a woman who's stalked by a, a slasher who vanishes when he dies in her house, mm. and then just come, comes back the next di- day, and nobody believes her. Okay, uh, and that, that's a that's a really really good movie. Um, so yeah, I, I'll, I'm going to try to check out Sun if I ever get a, a few. I, I do recommend it. It's a it's a lean. It's like a 90 minute movie, very efficient and just very well told, and it scared me. Okay. And that's something I, I think any horror movie can say that. Yeah. That's a definite recommendation. Now, uh, let's move on to a very different film. Hmm. film both <laughs> you and I saw. And if you'll recall a couple of weeks ago, I, I told a, a little anecdote where, you know, because every week we try to scramble and watch as many movies as we can. And we don't always get a chance to watch the same movies. And sometimes uh, we just miss something. Hmm. Uh, but every once in a while, one of us will see a movie and we'll text the other one and say, don't miss this. <laughs> and a couple of weeks ago, Whitney sent me a text in the middle of the week. Do not miss Werewolves Within. You will love it. You'll, you'll love Werewolves Within. <laughs> and I feel like I owed him a solid. So earlier this week, I told him, whatever you do, do not miss a chance to see the movie Summertime. <laughs> and yeah, it worked out well. Summertime yeah. is amazing. Summertime, oh. summertime is one of those films that's like, like Richard Linklater's Slacker, which you compared it to. Yeah, I, I think it's a lot more like Waking Life in a lot of ways because it has this, this unreality feeling to it. There's a, there's a similar um, vibe though. It's a same sort of sprawling filmmaker, narrative. But, uh, yeah, uh, in that it it is going so far as to try to put the button on a whole generation. And this, uh, you know, whereas Slacker and Waking Life were very much. Uh, th- those Slacker came out in 1990. Uh, Waking Life came out in 99. These are kind of like Richard Linklater's generation. He's Generation mm-hmm. X. Uh, this is the millennial movie. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> it takes place in uh, th- with excruciating detail yeah. in neighborhoods around Los Angeles. Yeah, it's, a, it's set in 2019. It's clearly shot around that same time. Mm-hmm. Very much pre-pandemic. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it starts off in, like, Santa Monica, and it ends so it, around downtown. It, it starts on Venice, Venice Pier. Oh, was it Venice Pier? Okay. Yeah. So uh, it starts on Venice Pier. The beach. And, and it starts so, at the beach, and it moves inward. And it moves a, inland throughout the film. There's a young woman singing a song. She's playing a guitar. She kind of roller skates down the streets, like, ah, oh, yes, and I'm in Venice. And then she runs into somebody, just like you do in Venice. Uh-huh. Like, actually crashes into somebody. Yeah, and uh, then the, and then the story then follows that person. It follows that person. They crowd. have a conversation. They go into a restaurant. We follow some other people. Uh, and every time we stop and uh, talk with a, a new group of people. A new narrator, through, a new protagonist. Yeah. And there's a new protagonist. And, and we stop eventually. We start revisiting characters after a little while. But uh, they they don't just have a conversation. They recite a poem. Yeah. That, as it turns out, the actors have composed themselves. Yeah. They're all poets, uh, local poets who live in Los Angeles, and they've written a lot of poems about living in Los Angeles. This movie has about as many writing credits as the Flintstones. 
but in a good way. But in a good way. If you recall the the John Goodman movie, the the Flintstones, the live action one from the nineties, has a comically large number of writers credited on IMDb. It's mm. it's like completely absurd. But here I it's intentional re- and it works. I don't remember how many of the how many of those writers were credited like on screen in the movie. Not, not but, as uh, many as were actually like on that, but it's it's a well known. But, but those big commercial yeah. like Black Widow has like one credited one or two credited screenwriters. Probably, probably at least probably, half a dozen. Yeah, yeah. at least twelve. Um, yeah, this one, each uh, each of the actors gets to sort of play a character that they've written a poem in the voice of. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are actually incredibly liberating. There's a really wonderful bit. And this th- this was the moment where I fell in love with the movie, mm. where there's uh, a teenage girl having lunch outdoors with her mom oh, at, at yeah. a restaurant. And they're just across the street from John's grocery store. And yeah. her mom has been giving her a lot of grief about the way she dresses and she wears too much makeup and you need to stop doing that. Stop wearing red. Yeah, you don't know, wear it's, it's, red. And, yeah. and so she, start, she gives a poem about how she wants to wear red and what that means to her and how that you know displays like who she is as a person who she is as a woman how it and, has uh, power yeah. yeah and during this uh, uh the waitress from the restaurant comes out and she's wearing a red dress mm. and she uh sort of takes a step out of reality and manifests a couple dozen other waitresses in identical red dresses and they do a dance number around a car in the middle of the street that they're really pissed at <laughs> And they end up pushing it off camera. It's a great bit. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, But in addition to some a lot more meaningful things, there's also some uh, a lot more modern, like somebody uh, gives a poem about how she wishes she were more successful. She wishes she had more money. She wishes she was prettier, Mm. had a better boyfriend, like all these kind of Mm -hmm. petty concerns about how important they are to her. Yeah. Uh, And then there's another poem, and this was the one that kind of kicked off the movie. Uh, it was a about poem Yelp? about leaving Yelp reviews yeah. and how, how kind of an important experience that is. So mm-hmm. these are all very specific to this generation mm-hmm. and you know what it, what it means to live on Yelp and what it means. And what this movie is doing is turning things that have been lambasted by certain article writers out there. <coughs> Millennials are killing the blank industry. Uh, did you know? Hey, millennials, did you know that you were that powerful? Well, technically, everyone, could, every generation is that powerful. Yeah, if they of just, they if are. they all, if they all act just, in unison, anything can happen. Just don't play golf. You kill the golf industry. Um, oh no! What 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 a tragedy! Uh, <laughs> this movie is turning all that inside out and turning it into a, essentially this this artistic manifesto mm-hmm. that all of these things that uh, have been kind of lambasted and cast aside as frivolous things of the younger generation. We're no longer the younger gen- youngest generation anymore, so maybe yeah. maybe there's there's a little bit like a bit of wistfulness coming along with it. Mm. Uh, all of this has been part of a grand artistic scheme to yeah. define ourselves. Yeah, and I think this is a movie that I, I hope people embrace this because this mm. feels like a movie that we can look back and this it's a very mannered film because again they're speaking in spoken word poetry and it's you know there's a there's an artificiality to that because it's not the way people generally speak. But the way they are expressing themselves is so direct and so clever mm-hmm. and so thoughtful and so emotional. And I'm not ashamed to admit I cried. Why would I be ashamed to admit I cried? A good movie will make you do that. But like, I'm, I will admit, I cried multiple times a couple of times mm-hmm. in this movie where just people were, there's this wonderful bit where um, we see a woman and she's in therapy and she's trying to figure out her life. And then at the end of the movie, she finally gets to have some catharsis with the person who it turns out their rejection mm-hmm. of her uh, spurred. Uh, a huge downward slide in her mental health. Yeah. And that whole bit 
is just bravo fucking well <laughs> what an what a great for your consideration like an amazing sequence well and and, it, and it's incredibly honest she yeah. wrote that poem it's about a real yeah. person that's about her real mental health yeah. so yeah there's there's a, a, a confessional quality to yeah. a lot of this movie as well i think my favorite scene is uh there's this incredible bit and if you've ever worked retail <laughs> yeah this was my favorite this, bit this, too, the scene at the I've burger joint retail. there's a burger joint called smiley's and uh it's about uh it's basically a huge rush and everyone is just ordering a million things and like taking up the line and slowing everything down and everyone behind the counter is miserable and someone orders like 60 burgers and then disappears orders them and then leaves so like in the middle of rush hour we started making 60 burgers and so we couldn't help everyone else and then they dashed they didn't even pay for it and this one guy keeps getting promoted yeah the manager (laughs) says hey you who's taking out the trash Work the register, and as soon as he takes the register, all of these di- like minor disasters, yeah. but all at once begin like throwing yeah. his way. He doesn't know how to handle these. And things. then the manager freaks out more and more, and he gets promoted again, and he can't handle it. It's it fucking like, miserable. So he ends up, <laughs> he ends up getting up on the counter and delivering his poem it's about so fucking how horrible good. it is to work retail. I also really liked, and at first I was a little concerned about this because I thought it was a little broader than the rest of it, but I think it gave it a nice little fantastical uh, quotient. There's a couple of. Uh, uh, rappers who mm. are performing on the street They're trying to sell their album And at the beginning of the movie They're talking about how Man, I don't know if we're ever going to make it And everything's awful And then over the course of this one day A whole movie takes place over one day mm. uh, They are they discovered achieved, achieved fame, yeah. they, they are discovered They cut an album and they get famous and then they get like annoyingly famous yeah, yeah. and they start having regrets about how famous they've become over one day which is very much how it feels sometimes in this city where everything moves so fucking fast um this movie made me so nostalgic for pre-pandemic los angeles Aww. where you could just walk yeah. around venice beach and there was this giant hive of creativity and weirdness yeah, and yeah, yeah. people of all different like walks of life just sharing the space and you know that every single person you look at has a story like LA doesn't always get like the best I think uh, appreciation in cinema because LA is a weird city it's very spread out it's not like this tight knit mm. like New York City everything built on top of each other there's no there's no like singular vital center to no the, to, there's to no the city. there's no nightlife in this city the city closes down around 10 or 11 except mm. for a couple of clubs and like a denny's like that's it like it's 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 weird and i think some people who aren't from here don't necessarily know the best way to capture it and i think summertime is one of the best la movies i've ever seen i think this movie gets it I really do. And I think if you've never been to L.A. and you want to see a movie that maybe shows a side of it that doesn't get appreciated enough, this is a great movie for it. This is a great just breath of fucking fresh air. And kudos to every single poet who was involved in this. Kudos to Carlos Lopez Estrada, the director of Blindspotting. Yeah, uh, who who okay. directed this and boys that person they, 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 and I didn't see Ryan the Last uh, Dragon mm. which they also did but just these two movies alone what a, a voice bl- that bl- I want to follow yeah blind spotting and and now summertime yeah I'm I'm gonna keep on following Estrada's career yeah. and um, Ryan the Last Dragon it's a Disney animated film it feels sure. like again there's not much of an authorial stamp to yeah. to films of, of a certain size but it sounds like it helped uh, like you know it, it sounds like it helped in a weird way this movie I mean Kelly Marie Tran co-produced this. Mm. You know, so I guess he, he's so he, spreading his influence out. Yeah, got, you know, got to, got to work connecting work with, with more her people. On, yeah, on Ryan the Last Dragon. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. Uh, 
good for Kelly Marie Tran. Uh, yeah, good for, for everybody involved here. Yeah. Just I love this the, movie this is, so much. It's so so good. This, it's one of it really is one of my favorites of the year. Yeah, this the, this is, the, I will be very surprised. This yeah. is not on my list of the best films of the year. Mm. I'll be very very surprised. I love it. Uh, and then lastly, we got one more movie to review, uh, and it is called Genus, Pan. Genus Pan. Uh, Genus Pan, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is the latest film from Lav Diaz. Um, and you're going to need to tell some people who okay. that is. Lav Diaz is a Filipino filmmaker uh, who is maybe best known for the lengths of his movies. It's a weird uh, thing to be known for. Well, because his movies tend to be incredibly 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 long um earlier this year i saw my first love diaz film it was called from what is before uh, It was five hours and f- almost 45 minutes it was it's a pretty long one okay and uh he shoots his films himself he shoots in a very crisp clean black and white with a lot of deep focus so there's a lot of static shots uh that kind of reach way back into the natural world and uh, in a lot of Lav Diaz films, people kind of live within that landscape, especially in From What Is Before. Uh, there's like going to be a long, wide open shot of a hill. And for a long time, you're not really sure what you're supposed to be looking at. But the camera will stay there. And eventually you'll make out a, like somebody in the in the distance kind of walking very slowly toward the mm-hmm. camera. They People kind of merge in and out of the landscape. They're part of this place. Uh, Genus Pan is the opposite of that. <laughs> Genus Pan is full-on Herzogian, the natural world is a hostile, horrible place kind of territory. Jesus. Um, Lav Diaz is, has been... Um, he was raised during the Ferdinando Marcos administration, dictatorship. Yeah. Uh, and has a lot of his films, uh, from what I understand... Uh, tend to be about fascism and the rise of fascism and the uh, the ripple effects of dictatorship on not just the country, but on the souls of the people who live under it. Uh, and as such, it is about uh, a certain kind of, from what is before is a lamentation, but there is this sort of study of that degradation of the soul. Genus Pan is one of the most pessimistic films I've seen. Okay, and hold saw, on, hold, hold on. Yeah, uh, that's coming from Whitney, and he seeks <laughs> this shit out. It's it's not quite as bad as something like The Painted Bird, which was a, a film I reviewed last year. Which Your description just of The Painted Bird guaranteed I will never see that film. <laughs> I will never see that I, film I, if it's I, anything even remotely like you described, because I don't know if I could handle it. I really liked The Painted Bird, but yeah, that is just nothing but pain and anguish for, yeah. like, near, for like three hours. Yeah, see, uh, see some, some people would call that hell. <laughs> <laughs> literally hell the thing that you don't want to experience so badly you're supposed to change your entire life to make sure that you don't end up there whitney just seeks that out <laughs> uh, that's that that's my jam what can i say i'm not complaining uh, i just want to make sure everyone understands no, the context of the statement <laughs> I, I i admire when a, a filmmaker can uh understand and appreciate the aesthetics of misery uh but uh, Genus Pan is about, uh, it takes place in, on this uh, remote island where uh, three workers, their mm-hmm. main characters, have been essentially exploited. Like their bosses are, they're hired illegally. Their bosses are skimming all these like unseen fees off of their pay. They don't have a lot of money left. And uh, if they want to avoid having to pay another fee uh, going back to their home island, they have concocted a scheme to sail around to the opposite side, land on the opposite side, and then walk through the jungle back to their hometown. Okay. Uh, and this movie is about that journey of these three guys through the jungle back to their hometown okay. and 
how uh, throughout this journey, they begin to reveal things about themselves, about their pasts, and all of the horrible things they've done in their pasts. Mm. Um, emblematic of this, uh, there's a scene where um, two of the characters, uh, their names are Paolo and Baldo, they're played by uh, Bart uh, Gwingona and Namding Yosef. Uh, they reveal that they were previously circus performers, mm. and they performed with this guy named Clown. And... Uh, and one scene, they're sort of wandering through this, like, thicket, and they hear this loud noise of an animal nearby. And I'm not really sure what kind of animal it is. It sounds like a bird. And one of them looks up and says, Oh, look, Clown has come to visit us. Hello, Clown! And they starts making these noises and just trying to get the other guys in on this kind of fun game he's going to play. We're going to talk to the bird. And they kind of back on. They say, Don't do that. No. Don't talk to that bird as if it's a clown. And come on, come on, let's play along. Let's do something. And and qu- quit making noise, bird. And like very quickly, it turns into this this horrible scene of total torment and annoyance and pain until the point where they're just sort of screaming and they leave the screen saying, fuck you, clown. And uh, that's kind of the journey of this movie. They try, <laughs> they try to play. Oh my God. They try to converse and they realize just sort of how, how much agony they've been in this whole time. Uh, the third of them is uh, this younger guy named Andres who uh, is trying to sort of suss out what these guys are really about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of the other two guys, one of them is devoutly Christian. The other one is incredibly nihilistic about the world. And uh, early on in the film, uh, he turned on the radio and we heard this audio, audio broadcast. It was uh, from Christian Radio about how human beings have essentially not evolved past genus Pan. Uh, the title mm. of the movie, and that is which is forest sprites with uh, like no, hoof, glove and hooves. And not, the... No, genus Pan is uh, the genus of chimpanzees. Ah, and so we're we're essentially ge- just as savage as we were when we were chimpanzees, and mm. only like this was Christian radio, so they said only like the highest of minds, like Buddha, Christ, Mother Teresa, only certain people have been able to transcend this. Uh, everybody else, you're fucked. <laughs> And this is Lav Diaz spending two hours and 37 minutes telling us how fucked we are. Cool. And, and every, every, and, and there's a, a, a really shocking moment of violence partway through that near the end gets rewritten. So we get to see two different versions of the same scene. Okay. And I think depending on your point of view, you get to choose which one is the real version. Is it, is it like along moral lines or like thematic one, lines one or is, is it one hopeful and one, and one despondent? What are we? Well, they're both despondent, oh, but, uh, cool. but one, one has, a one re, uh, recasts like sort of the, the character of one of the characters, like the actual, okay. uh, integrity of one of the characters. Okay. And, but what Alav Diaz is saying here is that, no matter which one is true, the dictatorship is going to kind of come after you anyway. Mm. And as such, there's no such thing as justice in this world. There's no such thing as coming out on top. You can't come to a change and expect things to change because we're in the shit. Yeah. And he leaves us on that note. Mm. Um, Lav Diaz is really rubbing our noses in misery with this one. Uh, and, uh, so you love it. Well, I, I don't love it as much as I love something like from what is before, which I think is a much more thoughtful film and is a much, much more ambivalent and actually examines human uh, nature in, uh, a f- uh, from a much more humane yeah. eye. Uh, this is, it's not cruelty, but it is, uh, it is nihilistic. And, um, yeah. 
and uh, he, so even though uh, Love Diaz is dealing on a much smaller canvas than ordinary, or, he ordinarily does, a mere two hours and 37 minutes, mm. uh, he is trying to paint a much broader picture of human nature. And his conclusions are not rosy. Mm. And and there's a point to that. There's you know, mm. a point that, uh, you know, if, if you're raised in a dictatorship, and especially... Uh, the rise of authoritarian governments all over the world has sort of given a lot of reason to not hope. Uh, Lav mm. Diaz is tapping into that. He is trying to say, maybe there really isn't here. Okay, there's nothing to look forward to. And it's all because we're just a horrible species. Uh, is that uplifting? No, it's not meant to be. That's at it. Um, is it meant to poke at a truth that we we sometimes are tempted to feel definitely and i think that uh there's a great deal of release and catharsis that can be found in that kind of darkness fair enough all right well on that note mm-hmm. So let's review some movies. Okay. Okay, uh so uh we do our at the end of every episode we review movies on a scale of C minus to C plus. The highest a movie can get is a C plus. It's above average. We recommend those movies. Mm-hmm. Could be the best movie ever made. Could just be rather good. Bada bing. C C plus. <laughs> Most movies are a C. C is average. A mm. little bit of good. A little bit of bad. C. <laughs> you, you've been to school. And then C minus is below average. Mm. We don't recommend those movies. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily a complete wash. Uh, but generally speaking, we did not care for them. Uh, it could be the worst movie ever made. Could just be a movie that misses its goals. Uh, on that scale, uh, where does Genus Pan um, land? It's it's a high C. Okay, I, I feel like um, it's it's a little too bloody minded in its nihilism. Yeah. Uh, and while I do like uh, Lav Diaz's aesthetic mm. and his his style, um, I feel like. Given what I've seen from him before, he could have taken a little bit more time. Yeah. Could have taken another two and a half hours if he wanted to. Uh, I think his longest film is close to 11 hours in length. Um, one of them is nine. Long. One of them is nine. One of them is eight. They're, they tend to be around five. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have taken a little bit more time and maybe given a little bit more uh, whole a picture as to what was going on. But yeah, it, the way it stands, it's actually very effective nightmare of a movie okay uh on the opposite side of things summertime mm-hmm. uh is an absolute and i and i say this and i i mean it when i say this. this is this is a phrase that gets used a lot but i i mean like imagine you're stuck in your apartment for like a year and a half and then you step outside and get a breath of fresh air that's summertime yeah it's... it is an absolute relief of a movie it felt like going outside again, and then not in a way that I think is just specifically key to the moment, although that matters, but in a way that I think would matter if this movie had, if the pandemic had been completely avoided, and if this movie had still come out, this would still be an absolute rapturous joy of a film. Yeah, I loved all the yeah. characters, I loved all the situations, and again, as a Los Angelino, I love its portrayal of the city, uh, and I think it really has a lot to say, and I think it says it eloquently. So C+. I, I, I agree. I, I said this is a very ambitious film. It's, uh, first of all, it celebrates poetry. Yeah. Uh, for God's sake, please, more. Uh, <laughs> and and it is really trying to, um, I think this one and Bo Burnham's Inside are, yeah. are really good about capturing a certain uh, ethos of people in their, th- uh, like, 
late, late 20s, 20s and early 30s, 30s yeah. uh, that I think a lot of other films try to dismiss mm-hmm. or or rom- over-romanticize. This is doing it a little bit greater service by turning it into uh, grand art. And I yeah. really, really adored this movie. All right. Uh, Sun, the new horror movie on Shudder, without going into great detail about the plot, which I think uh, you know deserves to unravel on its own, uh, is really quite scary. It's an excellent <laughs> scary motion picture. Uh, it's definitely, you know, got a, a lower budget, but it doesn't need more than it than it has. Uh, the cast is excellent, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a little freak out of a movie, and I highly recommend it, and I hope you check it out. Uh, so that's a C plus. Uh, Fear Street, nineteen seventy eight, also a C plus. I might even like this one a little bit more than the last. I just mm, think it's incredible. I mean, I'm a sucker for this era of slasher movies, and I think they nailed it. Yeah, like I, I really think, do uh, love this one a lot. I, I, I like it a lot, too, and I'm going to give it a C plus, although not quite as impassioned as yours. I think I Fair. like the first one better, uh, just because I think it's it's a little bit more efficient. I think the, the character work is slightly stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this one sprawls a little bit too much. Uh, it doesn't... It sort of takes for granted that... W- that we recognize overnight camps from movies of the past mm-hmm. rather than kind of establishing its own. Uh, that, that's a, a bit of an issue, I but, uh, that's better job but I'm still, still going to okay. get a C+. Plus. Yeah, I love it very, very much. And then the lastly, Black Widow. Uh, Black Widow, uh, it's a C. I don't, yeah. hate, I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just, it's, it doesn't do anything grievously wrong. Yeah. It's entertaining enough. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not going to give it a C minus, but it's definitely not a C plus. I'm torn. I think I'm just going to give it a really high C. Okay. Um, I think uh, as an actual just action movie, I think sometimes it's going through the paces. It's not badly handled at all. Just it's hard, like, there's no like one action sequence I could really stand out and go, that mm. one was amazing. And that's a lot of the movie. So I think that's a factor. But what I think rescues it and what I think makes it really, really strong is I think the main characters and the relationships together are really well thought out. I think they elevate a lot of the characters in the in this whole franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I just wanted to spend time with them. I wanted them to deal with their baggage. I appreciated that they didn't just gloss over everything and they actually had them like, like have deal, conversations yeah, have stuff, serious conversations yeah. about how they they've made each other feel and that's not something you get in action movies a lot. So I appreciated that. I think if the action movie elements had backed up, uh, had been a, just a little tighter. It would have been a definite C plus. But as it stands, it's, it's quite a good Marvel movie. It's an okay action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, high C from me. Uh, and that is it for critically acclaimed this week. We'll be back next week with a review of well, sixteen sixty six Space Jam. Oh God, no! <laughs> that, that's this look, week, look, right? Look, I'm not crazy. Look, Space Jam is coming out on Friday. Look, um, I would love nothing more than to be really surprised by Space Jam. Yes. Okay, Space Jam: A New Legacy could be my favorite movie of all time, and I'm open to the idea. You know what? It's produced by Ryan Coogler. There is a chance. <laughs> there um, is a chance. I did see a clip of Porky Pig rapping, and I'm not hopeful. But <laughs> we did, listen. We've got on record. We did, we've done a whole podcast about it. We think Space Jam one. I know a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia for it. We think it's indicative of a lot of really bad things. It's, it's, and it's, 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 it's it represents pretty, a lot of bad things that the industry has done. Pretty and, awful all around. Yeah. And that it kind of is this whole on tongue kiss with commercialism. Yeah. And, and is not even disguising itself as a film at all is, is a little bit problematic for me. I don't think I think it's significantly but, problematic. Uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll talk about the original and then hopefully the new one's good. Hey, yeah, maybe the new one happen. will be good. But anything we'll, we'll be talking about it. And so, we'll be talking about the third Fear Street. And we'll talk about the third Fear Street and there's more stuff coming as well. 
Uh, so we'll talk about that uh, coming up really soon. So thank you, everybody, for listening. You're all awesome. You're just awesome. <laughs> and we're super grateful to all of you. We're especially grateful to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we make a whole lot of exclusive podcasts for them, and we have uh, we have a, a, a online hangout coming up uh, in the next week, I think. That's right. Um, I don't have my schedule in front of me, but it's coming up real soon. Uh, so uh, if you want to join up and vote for future episodes of our shows and enjoy exclusive podcasts at every single tier, uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network if you can afford that. Yeah, I totally get it, man. It's mm-hmm. it's rough out there. But if you want to help the show, please subscribe. Leave us a review wherever you find us. It really, really helps if, a lot. If you don't have the money to spare, and I understand, uh, the yeah. reviews do help a lot. They yeah. sort of like push us up on algorithms mm-hmm. and let us appear higher on yeah. search lists. Yeah, so, so people looking for movie reviews, they us. might actually find the mm-hmm. show. And that, that really does make a difference. So thank you, everybody, who's been doing that. Um, and, uh, of course, if you want to join in the conversation, you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. And, uh, yeah, we don't have time to read every single email, but we try. So mm-hmm. please, for everyone who sends them in, thank you. And uh, we'll we'll get to them as much as we can. Um, and, of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I am at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we just hit a cool milestone at our soap store. 400 sales. Congratulations. At our soap store over Happy at Etsy. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, so uh, over at our Etsy store, uh, look for Salt Cat Soap. It's on Twitter and Instagram, at Salt Cat Soap. And, of course, we're on Etsy at Salt Cat Soap. Uh, we have a lot of designer soaps, mostly designed by M. Lapis da Silva. However, to celebrate uh, the 400th uh, uh, sale, uh, I have brought back one of our best-selling bars, which I actually designed, uh, which is a shave bar, which smells like espresso and honey. And a shave bar is is like an actual lathers, bar of soap yeah. that lathers so you can use it instead of uh, foam. I know a lot of people have issues with foam. It can be uh, a little abrasive, even at the best of times. Uh, I love these shave bars. Uh, I think they, they smell really, really good. I'm actually really proud of how they turned out. Uh, so we brought those back. And there's also a sale, uh, 15% off all orders of $10 or more for the rest of the month. So mm-hmm. uh, that's all going on. Over at Salt Cat Soap. Uh, Whitney, tell people about uh, P.O. Box and remind them about your other podcast because we don't do that often. That's true. Um, I I am co-hosting another podcast not on this network. It's over on The Screen's Margins, uh, the network founded by B. Peterson. And every week we get together and we talk about what we've watched on Ovid that week. The Mm -hmm. the podcast is currently called All About Ovid, spelled with all O's. Mm -hmm. O-L-L, About Ovid, O-V-I-D. Uh, Ovid is the streaming service where you find a lot of Diaz movies and things that played in museums and like really deep cut art house stuff. Uh, and um, it's like it, if if you think uh, the Criterion Channel sold out, man, yeah, then Ovid is for you. And uh, what's and all this? What's all this Kurosawa stuff? You poser. And, and it's definitely for me, and it's definitely for them. And uh, uh, B and I talk about on a regular basis. On this last episode, we talked about Genus Pan a little bit, and uh, we also I also talked about a film called Vampire Clay, which was a film, a Japanese horror film from a couple of years ago about clay that is a vampire. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and it's, is and it it's, awesome? It's made by like a, a special effects technician. It has like Evil Dead level practical effects Ooh. on it. But it was made just a couple of years ago. Do I need to check this out? Like, obviously, I listen to the podcast, but it's it's, it's pretty fun. It's not you know the most profound movie, but it's got some really creative special effects. Even some stop motion stuff in there. I'm uh, stoked. So yeah, Vampire Clay is, was we talked about that okay. on our last episode. 
Um, yeah, and we're we're gonna do that for as as long as we can keep it up. So That's awesome. uh, go over to the Screens Margins and look for all about Ovid. The uh, I think Alonzo Duralde said it was like the, the least Googleable name of any <laughs> podcast. So we're we're trying to think of other names for it. All right. Well, yeah. again, when when that happens, we will let you know. And don't forget our PO box. And our PO box, uh, PO box six four one five six five, Los Angeles, California nine double zero six four. Mail us something. Mail if us you a want. letter. If no you pressure. Want. Yeah. We're total soft sell on this, but some people like sending us uh, uh, letters. We've had a few. uh, We've had a few uh, gift items, which are very, very nice. Thank you for the gifts. And uh, but yeah, we just people have asked, and so we want to make sure people have the opportunity to send us stuff if they so choose. Uh, So that's it. That's it for critically acclaimed this week. We'll see you next time, and never forget, everyone's a critic. I wanna go to the midnight show. I'm sorry. What?